All right, welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. How are you this week, Walter? I'm very good. I've been traveling a lot. I'm in New York City right now, and you can see the beautiful hotel room mm-hmm. behind me. Um, and I didn't anticipate till a couple of days ago that I'd be here after having just been here. So I've been back and forth. I'm kind of out of sync. Um, and uh, I've been promoting you know, County Highway, the new newspaper I'm involved in. Which is and, doing great, uh, I see. Yeah, it's doing great. Um, but uh, we are meeting, uh, we're, we're meeting expectations for uh, subscriptions that we didn't expect we'd meet in almost a year. So uh, I'm not sure if, uh, if on the operational end, that's not causing a little bit of a problem getting everything printed up, and sent out, but... Uh, Which could end up uh, having... A deleterious effect, but let's not let's not yeah. go there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, it, it, it's a, it's a good problem to have a product that's selling well, um, and uh, because I can stand behind it, its quality, I'm very pleased. Excellent, excellent. Well, obviously, another ridiculous week. Uh, I don't know if, if if these were fires, these news week news weeks, would they have all been like seven or eight alarm? situations they'd be you know seven or eight alarm situations definitely but i've covered forest fires uh i used to write for time magazine and i covered some forest fires out west and there's a point at which they all sort of burn together and become one um and uh you know the wind comes up and uh suddenly you have a conflagration on your hand and you get weird phenomena uh fire cyclones actual tornadoes made of flame i've seen them with my own eyes really yeah yeah they're they're quite uh apocalyptic um and that's how it feels on the news scene it seems some days like all the fires are burning together and becoming one big one and it's hard to disentangle them it's hard to do anything but kind of have a panic response and want to turn and run this week, with this Trump indictment, it's as though they all did become one because I see in the potential consequences of this indictment possibility that the disinformation world, the world of politics, uh, the, the world of foreign policy could all get caught up in uh, one big tornado. It also... I think this would have, will affect anything that has to do with Biden in his case. How so? It feels to me like media-wise, this case is is the answer to anything that they are you know that they're they're pressing on the Biden corruption front, the Republicans, and uh, they're they're shooting for a speedy trial. So that means they have they're going to have cause to have this very much in the news a lot as early as they can and then they, they're probably going to have a superseding indictment late in the election um i mean i guess all these cases together are you know among other things going to be a counter to to biden's uh problems on the pr side for the for the democratic party but they're separate and distinct from one another as well i mean i guess we should go through this we went we went through the biden case yeah. right so this Trump case, out of all of them, it feels like it has the most meat on the bone on it, um, at least in terms of seriousness. I don't know about legal mm-hmm. theory, 
because the documents case seems like a pretty conventional prosecution. Like they did this, this is against the law. Like, you know, this is what we're asking. Um, this is what we believe happened. But here there's a, there's a rather elaborate uh, legal theory that heads into some pretty scary areas, I think, for both sides. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't reflect very well on Donald Trump. There's some very damaging stuff in there for Trump. Um, but then there's also complete insanity in terms of what, what the prosecution is trying to claim is part of a, an illegal conspiracy which you know had me sort of uh seizing up in fear by the end of the time I end uh, I finished reading it um but I'm curious to hear your reactions Walter when you first went through what did you think about it in terms of the dangers for Trump in the, in this in this uh indictment well the indictment itself is is a behavioral document to some extent it 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 details Donald Trump's behavior, his reactions, his um, desires, his state of mind during uh, the period between about January 6th and, and the election itself on November 4th or 3rd, I can't remember. Um, and what you see in terms of, uh, uh, you know, an insight into Donald Trump's uh, actions and, and words and mindset is someone uh, maybe detached from reality. Mm -hmm. Someone who's very angry, someone who is casting about for uh, evidence of a conviction that he seems to hold a priori, uh, that, that he was robbed. Um, and these unnamed co-conspirators, uh, which are lawyers and a campaign official, I believe, are looking for evidence of what they seem to presume to be true in the first place, uh, which is that somehow the election was stolen from. And as they are frustrated in their legal efforts, uh, they seem to get pretty creative and insist that uh, things can be found that they haven't found yet that that techniques can be used legally that uh, to to supplant those which have already failed. Um, so it's it, it is a, a portrait of anger, upset, and some desperation. And in that sense, it's not flattering. Uh, it, it's certainly not flattering. Now, my ability to speak legally on any of this is limited by the fact that I don't know what I'm talking about legally. I, I am the son of a lawyer. And so <laughs> I, I absorbed a certain amount, a certain amount of it at my father's knee. But uh, here I'm a little at sea because I don't really know what a conspiracy consists of legally, a conspiracy to defraud. And especially one in which the uh, defendant is supposed to know that he's lying. Uh, I don't see a lot of evidence that the guy knows he's lying. There's a lot of evidence that he is rejecting contradictory information, but 
I don't know that at any any point he goes, hey, man, we all know we lost, but let's fool them and tell them that we didn't. Um, Which would be not, this would not be as big a deal if the, the prosecutor, Jack Smith, didn't make it a big deal in the indictment. Um, there are multiple places where he talks about uh, not only did Trump make false claims, he knowingly made false claims. Like there's a section in there where he says the defendant's knowingly false statements were integral to his or integral to his um, criminal plans to defeat the federal government function, obstruct the certification, and interfere with others' right to vote and have their votes counted. He made these knowingly false claims throughout the post-election time period. So Smith, with this, with there, there is an introductory passage where he talks about how it's not illegal to lie, but Trump you know, went above and beyond mere lying, and we're going to prove that. He's in the indictment putting Trump's state of mind at the center of their theory of conspiracy. Uh, so they're going to have to go in and prove that Trump knew that these things were false. And this felt to me like the, the weakest part of the case, because their evidence for that was that he was told by various people, like the head of CISA, that they weren't true. Now, one could easily imagine Trump not believing those folks, uh, but there's other stuff in there that that is damaging. I, but this whole idea of of um, prosecuting the Trump and having it rely upon a judgment of intentionality and planning and all of this is, you know, I don't know how that, if that's going to hold up. But it's an interesting aspect of it. Well, because we don't see in the indictment what he might have been hearing from others. Uh, There's a lot of uh, detail about, you know, certain people and his interactions with them. But we don't know who else might have been saying or whispering to him or, you know, uh, through through unknown channels. Hey, I heard you lost because of this or. In fact, to be honest, it seems that from somewhere, Trump is getting rather specific theories about the fraud that that uh, don't hold up in many cases against, you know, what the, the identified people are telling him uh, or, you know, what's reported in the indictment. But it seems unlikely that he came up with this idea in a dream because it's so specific in some ways. Um, You know, so as I have said, and I think you affirmed, getting at his state of mind and getting at Donald Trump's state of mind in general may may be a very difficult legal uh, challenge. Uh, but, But that aside, I mean, what did you find most damaging? So the, the, Parts of the indictment that um, I, I think are going to go over worst for Trump and, and probably, uh, you know, sounded alarm bells for lawyers uh, who are reading this, although I've only heard this sort of, you know, informally so far. But there are several sections in there where they're not talking about mere speech. They're not talking about mere false claims. They're talking about things that would be more like overt acts. And they're describing them with witness testimony um, 
via witnesses who will almost certainly would almost certainly testify um, in a theoretical trial. So you have the chairwoman of the RNC, Ronna McDaniel, and she's going to testify that Trump's people told told her that this fraudulent elector scheme would only go through if litigation over exact uh, election results was successful. Um, and that wasn't true, obviously. Uh, you know, Mike Pence, who, um, well, we'll, we'll get to what he did after this indictment drop, but, uh, he's going to testify that Trump was pressing him to overturn the results. And, and when he said that, I don't think I have the authority to do that. Trump's response was, you're too honest. Uh, the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, he's going to testify about the pressure that he felt, right, um, when Trump was in that much disputed phone call about finding you know, the, the votes and all that. Um, by the way, and just, to, just to go back to the moment of Pence the other day, after the moment this um, indictment dropped, he tweeted, and Pence is running for president um, on the Republican side. He says, today's indictment serves as an important reminder. Anyone who puts himself over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. And some of us might agree with that. Uh, some of us um, might wonder if that's going to be also fatal to his chances on that side of the aisle. But um, so to me, that's all that stuff is damaging because it's because the answer to this um, indictment for the Trump folks is they're trying to criminalize free expression. And they actually are like there are other parts of this indictment that are kind of horrifying on that score. Uh, they don't have a coherent theory of what the actual conspiracy was. Uh, and I, I agree with that, too. Like, you know, if the first case with the payoff of the porn star, it was really like one charge that they stretched to 34. This one is really more like 30 different weird attempts to subvert the process that they packaged up into one big count. Um, so there are alleging one big coherent conspiracy that I'm not sure that it holds up. Um, but the, the part that the part that's going to be difficult to explain away is this, we would like you to do a concrete thing and that w may result in, you know, overturning the election or delaying the election. And, um, we know we're, we, we, we may have lied to you about it. Right. Um, I mean, that, you're that, talking about you're talking about with Pence, with Pence, with Ronna McDaniel, like these, you know, with the Arizona speaker. Right. Uh, Bowers, who's going to talk about and he's a he was a Trump supporter. So mm -hmm. these are all going to be damaging witnesses, even for Republicans, I think. Um, but so that, that has to be understood. I mean, we've Donald Trump has been in our lives as a public figure for a long time. We've we've known him to be a serial line crosser. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think any of us would be surprised really by a, almost any kind of indictment, you know, um, especially if it involved something like fraud or or, you know, any kind of business uh, dealings. Would you really be surprised by by? a lot with Donald Trump, but this is him being both a, a line crosser and, um, and maybe a little delusional at the same time. I don't know. Uh, it's not a good look. Uh, it, that's not to say that there are not very serious problems with this indictment. 
that scare the daylights out of me, but that's my initial. Well, let's talk about those in a moment. Um, I imagine that from the moment of the election on through this period, talk at the White House was of little else. Um, and the, the entirety of that talk and those discussions and those emotional, I imagine, rather charged conversations is not necessarily reflected here. Mm. You, you, you have the conversations that, of course, the prosecution considers most damning. To a certain extent, they're probably carved from a large, solid block of bluster and anger and, uh, you know, contempt for, for what happened. I, I would imagine that in a potential trial, uh, part of Trump's defense will be to bring on other conversations, first of all, which show his sincerity in believing that the thing had been stolen. He'll introduce all those people who maybe told him uh, as much and try to bolster their credibility and say, yes, this is why I believed them. Um, it may also be that things like saying you're too honest are parts of longer statements. That, sure, that, absolutely. Uh, you, you know, because we're both, as, as journalists, we're both familiar with the use of quotes and, and the, so, Especially in a grand you know, jury, you know, in the in an indictment, they don't have to bring in any other, you know, right, mm -hmm. right. So, so, but, but, moving to the side of that, um, one thing that bothers me is, and I think you kind of touched on it before, is that all this is occurring in the context of a presidential election in which Donald Trump is now polling, let's say nearly even with his likely competitor or better or better. And that's terrible. I mean, in and of itself, that's terrible because there are all sorts of people now who stand to profit from this uh, uh, indictment becoming a conviction or maybe just becoming a, a, a fundraising uh, obstacle for Donald Trump, let's say. And they range from other Republican candidates to obviously the Democratic candidates to people in government who mm, may be afraid of prosecution themselves should Donald Trump become president. You, you know, uh, his opponent having legal and uh, congressional difficulties of his own might not relish the thought of being re replaced by Donald Trump, uh, who will then avenge himself. Uh, uh, so how this can be a case that's tried objectively a little defies imagination when half the country and more than half of Washington, D.C. and the media and so on all have rooting interests in it. Where they're going to find these jury jurors? No, Alaska. No, These are going to have to be people who've been on a space station. <laughs> um, that would be really funny if that's where they held it. You know, maybe in the maybe in the future we should keep a certain uh, portion of the American populace in complete darkness about what's going on. Uh, 
There's a Philip K. Dick novel for you. Altered states. Just that they'll be in a big iron box with like a little saline solution. The jurors. The jurors. Yeah. The, 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 the jurors. They they orbit Earth in these little pods, um, listening to Taylor Swift music. And uh then every few years they're awakened. And told that they have to sit on a jury and they hear ex nihilo out of the darkness, this evidence, and they then rule. I actually, I think that's a pretty damn good novel. I, and, I love uh, it. They, they're, they're, they're fed with a rudimentary paste like Rudicop, Robocop, right? Like a little tube right. goes into their neck or something like that. Uh, right. No social so, experiences. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, so you know. I want to come back to the indictment itself, but the pros, like I say, the prospect of this trial or this legal procedure taking place during an election in which the defendant is possibly, you know, a front runner or at least competitive with the person who represents the government that's prosecuting him seems like some kind of challenge un- you know, the founders thought of a lot of things and they, they uh, imagined a lot of situations and tried to head them off. But this one seems almost un- unimaginable, uh, uh, it, especially because politics these days is very different than that which obtained during the constitutional process. You know, we, we didn't have quite the same media. We didn't have, um, you know, weaponized uh, agencies that can surveil people's opinions and so on. Um, and the trial of Donald Trump for this it is to me an almost inconceivable sticky wicket. But um, with con- with conflicts so profound that I, I, I we can probably only narrate them as they happen and rather than predict them. Back to the thing. Uh, my concern, obviously, for anybody who's listened to this show or knows me, is its uh, repercussions for free speech, free discourse, um, and the future of the First Amendment. Uh, you know, perhaps I perhaps I should be more worried about conspiracies to subvert our electoral process. But I guess I'm not as much because this one didn't work. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. You know, what we must remember is that despite all the things that are alleged, Donald Trump did not prevail. Um, and so in a way, his repudiation already happened uh, practically. Now it might happen legally. Um, what will stand in uh, into the future is a precedent that uh, you are not allowed, and not just if you're president, but maybe if you're anyone, to dispute what you should know is not true. Um, and we can't survive that precedent if it is applied widely. There, there's no way to... There's no way to speak after that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so central to everything they're claiming in the indictment. This idea of false claims 
and the damage wrought by saying things that aren't true. Uh, in, in, in the introduction, in, in, I'm sorry, in the introduction, uh, you know, point one is just introducing who Trump is. And then point two, here's the whole passage. Despite having lost, the defendant was determined to remain in power. So for more than two months following election day on November 3rd, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome, outcome determinative fraud. That We should talk about that passage in a moment because th- mm-hmm. that phrase comes up a couple of times. There had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. These claims were false and the defendant knew that they were false. But the defendant, the defendant repeatedly and widely disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate, create an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger, and erode public faith in the administration of the election. So, I don't know, is that, that's four different times they talk about him lying in the, in the second paragraph uh, of this indictment. And they also talk about the consequence, which is that people are less believing of official pronouncements um, as a result well, of his, a- his actions, which I, in my mind, I, I don't think they're, that's co- not covered by, that's not in the remit of the Department of Justice to, to weigh however, uh, how high or low the levels of trust in the administration of the election are. Um, but it, I just thought it was, and there's so much of this going through the, the the document. So many instances that sound like they're pulled straight out of a, um, you know, one of these anti disinformation NGOs uh, mission statements. Oh, so and so made a false claim, and then there were death threats against that person. Um, you know, as as if you're criminally responsible for the death threats, and I, it, I don't know, it, but it's just. It, it, did that strike you that the, the the false claims aspect was was so central to what they were talking about in the in the indictment? A- absolutely, Matt. Uh, to cut to the chase, my biggest fear for this whole thing is that it's going to set a, a standard uh, for speech, which will trickle down and freeze up the entire country. Um, first of all. When it says, you know, the facts, are, are, the, the election wasn't stolen. Let's make that a stipulation. It, it, it's a, the election was honest. Um, the idea that it wasn't is false. Well, are they going to have to now relitigate the entire election? Is it going to be Donald Trump bringing forth all sorts of uh, evidence or what he believes to be evidence that, in fact, it wasn't false? Wouldn't that have you know, to be his defense? It would have to be. And, and, and you know, uh, not mentioned in the indictment are a lot of theories that have arisen since the election about how it might have swung. You know, um, we know that in some sense, maybe metaphorically, people think it was there was uh, election interference in the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop. Um, we know that there's been a documentary, 10,000 Mules, about uh, alleged uh, misuse of, uh, 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 of mail-in or dropped-off ballots. Um, we uh, have all kinds of um, ideas about what happened during the election, and I don't think we're present, at least overtly, during the time 
of the behavior covered in the indictment. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But Donald Trump may come forward and saying, I was starting to hear all these other things that you've heard now from other sources. And these were what led me to believe it was a stolen election. If he can do that and sort of uh, convince one juror that, uh, you know, I had other sources besides the ones named here, and this is what they were telling me, and this isn't here, but let me show it to you now. And, and if that stuff is at all persuasive, then it could at least be argued that he had reason to believe he was telling the truth. Um, and, and, and secondly, these statements were false, it says, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, that means it has been metaphysically determined that, that, that the election results are, you know, they, they've been certified. Um, they passed various legal tests. But in the scheme of things, can we ever know what's true and false? Uh, at what point can you say objectively something is false? Uh, when, when an attorney general rules, um, when NBC News rules? Um, in a legal case, it, you, you, would, you, you can say it when a jury rules on something. You can say a person's guilty. But in something like this, never really yeah yeah right i i mean what you can say is that uh appeared to be false given the best judgment of the uh, authorities at the time and so on if you're hearing this message you're listening to the free version of america this week to hear the full version please subscribe at www.racket.news